So if you have your Bibles, please uh, go to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, we have the scripture uh, on the screen. And so this is going to be Mark chapter 10, starting in verse uh, 13. This is, uh, this is Jesus. This is Jesus uh, having a moment here. So Mark chapter 10, verse 13 says this. It says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked him. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was mad. He was frustrated. Right? He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive, listen to this, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Isn't that a great verse? How many of you, uh, how many married couples do we have here? Just raise your hand. Married couples, married couples. Okay, okay. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. How many of you have been married for more than five years? Okay. Keep your hand up. Uh, more than 10 years. Okay. More than 20 years. Okay. More than 30 years. More than 40 years. Back there, more than 40 years. More than 40 years. 45? 50? 50. 55? Uh, 60? 60. Over there too, Wendy as well, back there. Okay, so I have to ask this question. What are you clapping about? What's all this enthusiasm about so many years, right? The reason we clap is because, because it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a challenge, like, like, being married is not, is not easy. Like, we know that as time goes by, when you want to keep a marriage together, when you want to keep a marriage working, it takes work. It takes work. So it's not just like, oh, it's all, you know, a happy pie in the sky. There's a lot of work that goes into it. My wife and I, we've been married 20 years, and I would, I would tell you that this is probably the best uh, season that we're in so far, my wife and I. Now, the question is, how did we get there? Like, how, how are we married 20 years and we're, like, in the best place now that we've ever been? Well, it's because I've had to work on some stuff in my own life. She hasn't had to work on anything because she's perfect, but I've had to work on some stuff. And, and that's the way that you make a marriage uh, work. And it's ine inevitable, inevitable to have a good marriage. You see, after 20 years and kids and bills and mortgage and runny noses and diapers and all these things... You tend to lose the initial excitement, that, that whole idea of the, the butterflies and the first love. And life can get busy. And, and maybe life gets busy and you never really make time to rekindle the love. And you go back to those days when everything was excitement and everything was fun and everything was passion and you had those fights, but it's okay because then you're going to make up, right? So it's like everything is exciting about that first love. And you maybe look back at those days and you're like, that seems like a lifetime ago or just a beautiful thing to remember. But here's the thing. Something gets lost along the way in a marriage relationship if you're not careful. I love couples who say, no, no, they're just starting to date. And they're like, no, no, we're, this is never going to end. Like, we're going to be the one exception, and we're going to get married, and we're always going to be in love with each other, and we're always going to be excited to see each other. We're going to be that one exception to the rule. But here's the reality. The reality is that over time, your love for each other 
will either die or transition into something even better. And by, and by die, I don't mean getting a divorce necessarily. There are going to be two people married together in the same house, but that love died a long time ago. And so what will define if love dies or transforms into something better is this. It is the work that I'm willing to do on myself and that your spouse is willing to do on herself. Now, this isn't a message on marriage, okay? We can, well, maybe I'll do a whole message on marriage in the future. But the same principle is true in our relationship with God. You see, here's the thing. The, the book of Revelation, the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, he's talking about a church in Ephesus. And he talks about this church and he says, hey, you guys are doing pretty well. But the Lord says this. This is Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. It says, nevertheless, you guys are doing pretty good, but nevertheless, I have this thing against you. He's talking to Christians, that you have left your first love. And this may be you today here in this space. Maybe you're in your relationship with God. You, you, you think about your relationship with God and you remember the days when you were on fire for God. And you remember the days when you were praying and worship and, and God was so real and you could almost hear his audible voice. And you had interaction with God and with brothers and sisters and you were so generous. Like God was so real to you. That was your first love. And maybe you're here and you look back at those days and you're like, man, that seems like a lifetime ago. I feel like I've lost my first love for God. Maybe that's you today here. Maybe you're here and you've lost your first love and I want to help you get it back. Maybe you're here today and, and you've never really had this love for God. Like you've been a religious person. You've come into church, but you've never actually felt on fire for God. Or maybe you're here today and you are actually on fire for God. Like you have never been better. Like this is your best moment in your relationship with God. Well, I want to help that that won't go away. That that love for God will continue. And so that's my, my hope for today and that's my prayer for this message Today, so if you've lost your first love, there's some, some work that you and I can do, and that's what I want to talk about today. That's why I've titled this message, Childlike Faith. Childlike Faith. We're going to talk a little bit about this today. So I want to ask you a question. Have you, have you ever waited for something in vain? Like you've waited in vain. Like you wait for an email that never comes. You wait for a package that never arrives. You wait for a phone call that never happens, right? I am... Um, a while back, I was uh, making hard-boiled eggs, and I was putting, you know, water in the pan and putting the, the eggs in there, and I walked away, and I'm thinking, why is it taking so long? I walked away, and it's still not boiling, and I hadn't turned the stove on. <laughs> so, obviously, nothing was going to happen. You guys are a great crowd, by the way. That wasn't that funny. <laughs> but the, the thing is that, that I had to do something in order to make that happen, right? It was my fault. It was on me. There was nothing wrong with the eggs. I hadn't lit the thing, right? You see, the same thing can happen in our Christian walk. You, maybe you're here and you think about your relationship with God, and your relationship with God is like, blah, right? It's like, uh, it's, I mean, it's okay. It's not bad, but it's like just not what it could be. And so maybe you're here today, and you're waiting in vain for God to do something in your life in order to reignite you. But the reality is that, it, that God is waiting on you to do something in your life to reignite it. So I want to talk about what that thing may be in your life. Why, 
why doesn't he do something in my life? You may be asking yourself, why doesn't God do something in my life? Well, let me tell you this. He's done plenty. <laughs> if you don't know, he's done plenty for you. He put flesh and blood and came into the world. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again, and he forgave all your sins. Okay. So maybe you're here thinking, well, I'm still waiting. What are you waiting for? What am I waiting for? And here's my point. Some of you think that God, that it is God who needs to make the next move in order to rekindle your love, but the reality is that he is probably waiting on you to do something that will rekindle your love for him. You may think God has changed. Like God is not the same God that I remember way back when. Like God has changed. Well, if you believe the Bible to be true, you will realize that Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. His passion for you never changes. His love for you never changes. His commitment to you never changes. Guess what? I want to propose to you that it is you who has changed, not God. This is not a guilt trip, by the way. I just want you to think about this a little bit. You see, we change, God doesn't. So maybe you're, what has changed is this. What I want to propose to you today. Maybe what has changed in your life is your childlike faith. I'm not saying you don't have faith. I'm saying you have lost that childlike faith. You still have faith. You still believe God is real. You still believe that he rose from the dead. You still believe that your sins are forgiven. You still believe that the Bible is truth. You haven't lost your faith. What you have lost is your childlike faith. And Jesus says that this, this is actually essential to enter the kingdom of heaven. And now, I want to I make sure that you understand that this is not essential for your salvation. He's saying it's essential to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about this uh, in the series on the parables, that when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about the afterlife. That's a different subject. He's talking about the way you live on this earth. He's saying if you don't have childlike faith and just regular faith, it doesn't mean you're not going to be saved. It means you won't be participating in the kingdom of heaven work that God is doing here on earth. So what does this mean exactly? Well, first I want to talk about what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is this. Have you ever, have you seen that shirt that says, I can't, I can't adult today? Seen that shirt? Like, I just can't be an adult today. Like, sorry. I mean, I'm 47, but like, that's not, that's not for today. Have you, ever, have you ever done something childish? Like, like, you know, you have a, with your spouse, like, you get mad, and it's like, you don't, like, she walks by, and you're just, like, not talking to her. Like, dude, how old am I? Right? Or, like, you grab a broom, and you're acting like it's a guitar. You know, like, dude, come on, man, grow up. You're 47. What, what are you doing? Right? And so, what I'm trying to say is that, is that, what the scripture is talking about, you could, and you could argue, hey, the Bible says anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So I'm being, I'm being, I'm being like a child. Well, no. No, he's not, he's not talking about being, being childish. He's talking about being childlike. And being childlike is completely different from being childish. So what is it, what is it about childlike faith that is so essential to entering the kingdom of heaven? Again, this is not a matter of salvation, but it's a matter of living the life that you were created to live. What is it about having a childlike faith? Well, Jesus is making it very clear 
that this is essential for our life. But the question is, why is this so important? So let me, let me explain it like this. And what I'm trying to explain is, is, why is it so important for us to have childlike faith in order to enter the kingdom of heaven? So we're going to talk about what it means to be a child in the faith, which is different from being an immature Christian, by the way. It's having childlike faith. Some of you guys know I grew up in Chile in South America. And uh, when we have a, when we celebrate Christmas, uh, we wait for Santa, right? We wait for Santa, but here in the States, you, you sleep, and then the next day, right, you know, Santa came at night, so then the next day all the presents are there. In Chile, it's a little bit different. In Chile, it's on the 24th at night, so you go out and you take a walk. Take a walk with your parents, and there are other parents that are also walking, and you talk to the parents, you're like, hey, have you... Have you seen Santa? Yeah, yeah, I think I saw him down the street a couple of blocks. He went around. I think he's, he's you know. So then you would walk around, and then you would show up back at your, at your house, and then Santa had already come, and so all the presents were, were there. But there comes a moment when you realize, you know, I'm not saying Santa is real, but you grow up, right? And so, you know, you, you, you grow up, and you realize that now you understand things that you didn't understand. I used to think, you know, maybe you thought your dad could beat up the other person's dead, and then you grow up, and you're like, I don't know if he's that strong anymore, <laughs> right? You just kind of realize things that you were so innocent to not understand when you, were, when you were little. You see, the same is with our relationship with God, and we're talking about childlike faith. When you become a follower of, of Jesus, at the beginning, your first love, right? Everything is awesome. God is unstoppable. Your faith is absolute. Your belief is, is solid. Anything is possible with God. You're praying. You have hunger for the word. You're worshiping. It is all great, but, but something happens in time. You lose your childlike innocence, with God, you lose your edge, you lose your fervency. You still come to church and do all these things, perhaps, but it's not like before. What happened? Well, your childlike faith shifted into just regular faith. Amen. You started adulting in your faith. Amen. Now, adulting in real life is a good thing. But, but in, in faith, in Jesus, you're actually never supposed to adult. You're supposed to always believe that with Christ, all things are possible. Amen. You should never grow out of that in your Christian faith. So Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, which is the same church that, that years later John was talking about in Revelation, Ephesians chapter 3, the apostle Paul is praying for his church, and this is his prayer. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 17, he says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being, listen to these words, that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work with us. That, brothers and sisters, is the faith that I want for you. That is the faith that I want for myself. That is the faith that I want for this church, where we can believe that with Christ, all things are possible. A faith that has no limits, a faith that has no boundaries, that believes like a child. That's what I want us to be. That's what I want to be. That's why I love this prayer. This is a prayer prayer. 
sorry, this is a, this is a moment that, that a father has with Jesus. This is a moment where there's this father and he has a demon-possessed son. And he comes up to Jesus and he says this in Mark chapter 9, verse, starting in verse 22. He says this. This is a desperate father who, who doesn't know what to do with his child. He says, it, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, this is the dad Asking Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And then Jesus is offended. In verse 23, he says, if you can? What's this if talk with me? Where's your faith? What do you mean if I can? And then Jesus says, everything is possible for one who believes. It's too quiet in here. Say this with me, please. You don't have to, but I feel like you should. Everything is possible for one who believes. Okay, let's try this again. Everything is possible for one who believes. Okay, now let's put some more conviction into it. Let that come into your heart. One, two, three, I'll say it with you. Everything is possible for one who believes. And then verse 24 The dad comes and says immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. I do think that you believe too. I believe too. Help me overcome my unbelief. It's it's an honest prayer. It's like, yes, I do believe. But there's part of me that kind of doesn't. And I don't want to have that lack of faith. I want to have childlike faith. Help me, Jesus, to get there. That's your prayer. Maybe that's your prayer today. That's my prayer too. Maybe you're here and you need help to overcome your unbelief. And that's what I want to talk for the rest of the time that I have here. Because if you've lost your childlike faith, or maybe you've never had this childlike faith, I want to talk about how to get it, how to get it back, or how to maintain it. What are one of the, some of the characteristics of a child? Innocence, right? Pliability. You know, children are, 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 are open. They have the ability to learn. They're like a sponge. They're just taking in everything, Right? All these things allow for something to happen when you're open, when you're listening, you're in the Word, you're trying to figure it out. All this produces something in you. What's that? It's growth. A healthy child grows. A healthy disciple of Jesus grows. So my question to you is this, are you growing? A healthy child, like you'll see a child a year from now, and you're like, oh my gosh, you got so, when did you get so big? Right? It's a healthy child is growing. The same thing needs to be true with us. If I see Fernando today, and then I see Fernando in one year from now, I'm like, man, all the things God is doing you, man, I feel like you have really grown as a Christian. Like you, you, you're loving more. You're a better husband. You know, you're more generous. You're, you're, there's something in you. There's, there's something that's alive in you that is allowing for you to grow. So my question to you today, is that true for you? Is that true for me? Are you growing? Not do you have more biblical knowledge, which is important, but the question is that knowledge, that understanding of God, are you applying it into your life and allowing for that to grow you into a better and stronger disciple? But an essential ingredient here to grow is your your faith. You have to challenge your faith. It's challenging your faith. I mean, it's like a muscle. For a muscle to grow, you have to challenge the muscle. And what's going to happen with that muscle, if you don't challenge it, it's going to grow. It's not going to disappear. It's just going to grow back. But it's not going to fulfill its full potential. The same is true in your faith. Maybe you have faith, but you haven't put your faith to the test recently. 
You've just kind of gone through the motions. And I'm not judging you. Maybe that's the way you want to live your life. But I believe there's much more for you. I really do. And there's much more for me as well. When was the last time you challenged your faith? When was the last time you put yourself in the position of, I need God to come through? Like, have you been in that situation recently? Like, man, I'm, I, just, I put myself out there. Like, I'm waiting on God. When was the last time that you did that? And just to clarify, I'm not advocating recklessness. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, when was the last time that you challenged your faith? You see, challenging your faith is simply this, or, or childlike faith is simply this, is believing that everything that God says about him and about you is 100% true. And about the things that he can do as well. You know, I, I heard someone once say something I'll never forget. It's really interesting. He says this. It's actually in a book that I read, but there's a, there's a spiritual aspect to this that I think really translates. It's in order to have a meaningful life, or in order to have a, a life that, that is transcendent, that, make, that makes sense, and that is exciting for you to live, is you have to have one foot in the known, and then one foot in the unknown. One foot in the known, and one foot in the unknown. You know, see, two feet in the unknown is a, is a reckless life. Like, that's just you're taking too many risks, right? But, but two feet in the known is a boring life, where you're not really challenging yourself. You're not doing anything. So what he's saying is you need to have one foot in the known and then another foot in the unknown. Like you know this stuff. You're not being reckless, but you're also putting yourself out there. And what's happening in, in that interaction is that you're creating a space for God to show up in your life. So my question to you is that. Are you challenging your faith? I don't know where you are at. I'm not sure. But I suspect it's very possible that you're being a little bit too safe in your walk. That's why your faith is stagnant right now. And it's not a matter of salvation. It's a matter of purpose. You see, maybe you're here and your passion has diminished. Maybe, maybe something happened along the way. Like, I don't know what happened. But you stepped away. Like, you're still participating, but you've stepped away. You're not, you're not on fire for God. And you're not seeing him do things in your life like you would like. Maybe you got discouraged along the way. Maybe something or someone disappointed you. Maybe, maybe something didn't turn out the way that you thought. Maybe there was an unanswered prayer that, that hurt. Um, or maybe you just got busy, you know. And your childlike faith just turned into regular faith. And you lost your first love. So today, I want to challenge you to get that back. I really do. Um, I want to... I wanna, invite you to rekindle your relationship with God. When you live with one foot in the known and another foot in the unknown, and you always create a space to be able to say, I should be able to hear this often, yeah, this and this and that, and man, and then God showed up, and this is what happened. That should be our conversations often in our lives. So my question to you is this today. In what area in your life currently are you stepping out in faith? Where are you allowing the space for you to say, and then God. And then God showed up. Like, I wasn't sure it was going to happen. And I believed it. Like, I, I put myself out there, and I'm like, I believe you, God, because I believe this is what you're asking me to do. And then God showed up. So I'm going to end with this today. 
And I just want to reiterate something that I kind of already said before, is that I believe God has so much for you. And I think that you intrinsically know this. He wants more for you in your marriage, in your relationships, in your finances, in the purpose in your life, in your sense of fulfillment, in your sense of hope. And, and I want to invite you to stop waiting for God to do something in order to rekindle your faith in God. I would argue he's waiting for you. And this is dependent on you upgrading your faith to childlike faith, which is another level. And so the revival in your life, I would say, is this, is on the other side of faith. It's on the other side of faith. Where, where are you putting yourself out there? Not talking about being reckless, but where is it? Where is it that you need to step out and allow for God to show up in your life? I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's a phone call that you need to make. Maybe it's to pray for someone. Maybe it's to take a step toward restoring a relationship. Maybe it's to go to marriage counseling. Maybe it's to go to rehab. Maybe it's to start a business. Maybe it's to have that tough conversation that you've been pulling away from for so long. Or maybe it's taking a baby step toward doing what you already know. You need to do. And God is telling you today, go and do that. That thing that you know you have to do, go and do it. See, some of you possibly are living lives that are way too safe. And stepping into the kingdom of heaven requires a bit of risk. And it's not about jumping blindly into the unknown, but taking one foot out and allowing, it's going to do the foot thing, and allowing God to show up, Right? This is how you come alive in your relationship with God. And you'll have great stories of how God came through. So I'm going to ask if we could close our eyes here for a minute. And this is a moment for you. I'm going to say a few things and then I'm going to pray. Because just bow our heads and close our eyes here. Because maybe you're here today and you've, you've lost your first love. You still have faith, but you no longer have childlike faith. Something happened, maybe you got disappointed with the church, maybe disappointment with the situation, an unanswered prayer, I don't know what it is. Maybe you've never felt you've really had that life of childlike faith with God. You believe, but that's it. You want, but you want to see God move in your life, and you're ready to step out. You want to leave space in your life to say God showed up. So if this is you right now with eyes closed and heads bowed, I'm just going to if, if, if you are trying to decide right now whether or not to step out in faith and you need a, a boost, let's say, I want to just ask you to raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you right now. Amen, 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 amen. All right, so let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you for this moment. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy and your presence. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, because you challenge us to have childlike faith. I pray, God, that we will put all of our faith in you and realize that many times the reason why we feel stagnant or our lives are, are sort of just a repeat of the day before, which is a repeat of the day before, is because we're not stepping out and doing the things you've called us to do, Lord God. This is an invitation, I feel, for a life that is very exciting and a life that is filled with purpose and a life that is ignited by you and your presence. I pray, God, that the hands that were raised, you allow for them to take the step in their lives, to walk into the kingdom of heaven and to be powered 
by your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, so much for this message today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So now we come to our time of communion, and uh, this is a moment in the service where we, um, we remember the death of Jesus, and uh, we have two elements that we partake of. One is the bread, and the other one is the juice, the, the grape juice, the fruit of the vine. Grape juice represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, and the bread represents his body that was broken for us. And so we're going to take a couple of minutes of uh, just meditation on what we've, we've heard and thinking about Jesus and what he did for us. Um, and then uh, Anthony is going to come here, Tony's going to come here on stage, and he's going to guide us in this time of communion, and we'll all participate together. So a couple of minutes, meditation, and then uh, Tony will come here on stage. In these moments of communion, we reflect on the fact that all of our faith is grounded on the finished work of Christ, on the finished work um, that he completed on the cross for us on our behalf. And that's why we take this moment every single week to remember that, um, because that is what this is all grounded on. All of our faith is completely rooted and grounded um, in the work that has already been done on our behalf. So we rejoice in that, and that's why we're going to take communion together today. I'm going to do it the same time I did it last time. So if you guys could peel uh, the top layer and reveal the wafer, perhaps you can set that on your lap and then gently uh, open the next layer to reveal the juice 
I'm going to say a prayer as we hold the wafer now in our hand over the body. So if you would pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for your body. We thank you that you took the punishment on our behalf, um, that, you, that you interceded for us, Father. Where we had sin and you were sinless, you still stepped in and took the judgment on our behalf. And in that, we rejoice. And in that, we remember your sacrifice for us, Father. So we take this in remembrance of you. Let's take this together, family. And Father, as we take this cup, we rejoice at the atoning power of your blood. That because, uh, because your blood was spilt, we have salvation. Because your blood was spilt, all of our sins have been washed away and that you have cleansed us, Father. And in that, this is, this is what everything we believe is grounded on was on your sacrifice, Lord. And we, and we do not forget you. We do not forget your sacrifice in this moment, Lord. So please bless us as we take this cup. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here at church. It's so great to see you all. Um, a couple of things, or a few quick reminders. Um, if you're new here, um, we're going to have a couple of staff members in the guest lounge if you want to go over there and meet them. Um, secondly, if you'd like to give to the church, you can. You can do that online, or we have some boxes on the way out if you'd like to do that. And uh, lastly, I would, like always, I'd like to invite you guys to hang out in the cafe for a little bit, get some fellowship, chatting time in um, to just sharpen one another. But other than that, you're dismissed. Thank you all so much. Have a blessed week.